Diaz Familia. Diaz, uh, so good to be with you today. My name is Josue. For those of you that do not know me, I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at the Grove Church. And obviously today I have the privilege of preaching God's word to us. And it is one that I do not take lightly and one that I am excited about, but one that I've uh, labored very much over for today's topic. Um, for today, we're going to find some words that we don't often talk about or think about um, as a church, I think. And so today, as we confront these things, I would just ask that you have a little grace with me and with yourself. But let's confront them the way Jesus confronted them in the word. Uh, you see, we find ourselves today in, in the text uh, in our series on the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus has been challenging what we believe to be true about the law, about himself, about what is actually important. And what he's been challenging us is our self-righteousness. He's been telling us that we think we are right because of what we do. And last week we heard this, that uh, if you get angry with your brother, your heart is not that different from someone who commits murder. In fact, you've committed murder in your heart. And he's saying it's not enough not to kill someone. Most of us would say, actually, probably all of us would say, I've never killed anyone. Okay, that's a good baseline. But he would say, if in your heart you've been angry, you've already committed murder. And so what Jesus is getting at is at the core. He's getting to the heart level. He's getting to the roots that are in you and that are in me. And today is no different. He will challenge the roots that are in you and that are in me. Where you might say, well, I've never committed adultery. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never cheated on my husband. He's going to say, but what's in your heart? That's what we're going to explore today. Now, I'd like for you to humor me for the next 30 seconds. So please stand up. I'm going to give you some instructions, okay? So hopefully this helps you wake up a little bit because uh, the message is coming your way. So I want you to face right, your right side, okay? Feet, shoulder width apart, okay? Keep your right foot in place and take a step to your left, all right? So you're facing your left now. Face your left. Take a step. Look at me. All right. How about this? Look at me. This is not working how I thought it was going to work. <laughs> All right. Y'all pay attention. So feet shoulder width apart. Take a step to your left and look in that direction with your foot, with your right foot staying in place. Okay. You got it? So you're basically looking at me now. Okay. Now make a phone call. Pick up your, all right. Close that fist up. Now put your left hand right underneath your eye. Ah. All right. That is a boxing stance. Now keep this in mind as we continue. You can have a seat. All right. All right. So you may not know this about me, but um, I boxed in college for about three years. That was one of the first things that I learned. Uh, growing up, I was not very athletic. Uh, God didn't design me with the stature of an athlete. So instead, I had to find individual sports like boxing and chess. Yes, chess. <laughs> Chess is a sport, okay? It is a sport. And so I had to find these individual sports, and in college uh, was my first exposure to boxing. And I remember my freshman year, first day of class, I go, I'm all excited, go to my first class as a freshman in college. And at the end of the day, I was going to go try out boxing for the first time. Okay, so it's the end of my first day of class, show up to boxing, but little did I know that there was a two and a half hour training session ahead of me. I didn't know this, but I'm 18, I'm young, I'm full of energy, so I'm, I'm like, I, I get after it, get after it. So get in, about two hours into the training, I begin to feel a little fuzzy, 
And I go up to the coach and I say, hey, coach, uh, I'm not feeling too good. He said, uh, maybe you're a little dehydrated. You need to go get some water. So I said, okay. Brand new in this gym. I'm a freshman. So I go down the stairs of this five-story gym. I'm like, all right, there's got to be a water fountain around here somewhere. Don't see one. Maybe it's every other floor. I go down to the third floor. Nothing here. All right, surely it has to be something on the first or second floor. Go down to the second floor and still don't see a water fountain. But down the hall, I see an open door. And I said, surely someone in that room will be able to tell me where to get some water. So I go up to the room, and I simply say, do you guys know where there's a pass out on the floor, blacked out? Next thing I know, I wake up on a bed. Guess where I was? In the girls' volleyball clinic. For an 18-year-old freshman, that was mortifying for me. I wanted the ground to swallow me up whole. I didn't want to give them my name. I never wanted them to see me again because I had just been picked up by the girls' volleyball team and been put on a bed. And here I am, embarrassed, wanting to be swallowed up. And why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because I think many of us have not realized that we are at war with sin, that we are at war with lust. We've not nourished our bodies for the fight of head. We, we've not nourished our souls and our minds. We've not gained the training abilities that we need to fight this fight. And we are finding ourselves when we are confronted with temptation in situations that are embarrassing, in situations that we'd rather not be in, in situations that we wish the ground would just swallow us whole, like I did that very first day of boxing training. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Your soul is at war with sin. And that's the reason we are here today. That's the reason Christ is bringing this text up to us today because it is not a game. It is not a matter of us. Uh, it's not for us to be passive about, but it is actually something that we have to train for. We have to prepare for. And so where does our training begin? Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. The first thing we find with Jesus is Jesus will confront our reality. Jesus will confront our reality. He does not shy away from hard conversations. Why? Because it is important. So if you're here today, we're going to use words like lust. We're going to use words like adultery. We're going to use words like sex today. And maybe these are words that you're not used to hearing in an environment where you have brothers and sisters sitting next to you. Maybe these are not words you're used to hearing with your whole family present. Maybe these are words you're used to dealing with in a group just with men or just with women or just with teenagers. But, but if we look at the way Jesus presented this, it wasn't in homogenous smaller groups. He's speaking to the crowds because he knows the gravity and the severity that this sin can have on our lives as a, as a detriment to our lives and our spiritual lives. So maybe this is your first time hearing about this topic from the pulpit, my first time preaching from the pulpit about it. Maybe this is the first time you have your whole family sitting in. And students, maybe this is your first time sitting in on a sermon about sex, about lust, about adultery. Let me tell you, it's okay. Jesus has created an opportunity and a platform for us to talk about these things. And my prayer and my hope is that today we would leave here with an opportunity to have conversations that maybe we've not had before, that maybe we have been too awkward to talk about. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm addressing it, therefore you need to address it. And today would be a win that if you go home from here and you have a conversation maybe with your spouse that you've been meaning to have, 
Maybe you have a conversation with your kids and students. Maybe it's a conversation where you need to come up to your parents and say, hey, I don't know about this. Hey, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, but I just don't know how to bring it up. Today is the perfect opportunity to do that because we, in our text, are finding ourselves in front of this sin called lust, that if it gone unchecked, will devour us. So what Jesus is confronting is the present reality. You've heard it said, you shouldn't commit adultery. That was culturally normative for them to know the seventh commandment, all right? They say, yeah, you're right, Jesus. The Pharisees would say, you're right. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never cheated on my husband. You're right. That's the law. That's what's culturally normative for them at the time. And today, Jesus is not out of touch with us. He's telling us, you've heard us say, don't commit adultery. And maybe some of us would say, well, I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never cheated on my wife or my husband. But what else have you heard said? That's what Jesus is getting at. What's culturally normative today? What have you heard it said? Why well, is just sex? What's the big deal? That's something that is per, uh, predominant in our culture. Well, it's your choice. It's your body. Who's anybody to tell you what to do with that? In the name of comfort, we're wearing less and less clothes. In the name of fashion, we're wearing things that show off our figure, that show off who we work our, our bodies in ways that are not necessarily honoring. And that is why we have to address this today. In our cultural moments, uh, the average age of exposure to pornography is 8 to 10 years old. That means that if you are in here and you are 8 years old, and if you haven't yet encountered this, it's a matter of time before it quickly comes up to you and presents itself to you. And today, my hope is that you will leave here encouraged with some kind of training, some kind of mindset that when that opportunity presents itself, you will know how to confront it. We don't have the choice. We don't have the luxury to be passive and not address this. In an average year, an average teenager who just regularly watched television will have experienced 15,000 references to something sexual on TV, on Instagram, on Facebook. This is not a joke. Psychology Today says that we are overexposed and underprepared. And what, we, what Psychology Today is saying is the schools can't keep up with sex ed. The church doesn't seem to be as concerned about it to talk about it. Guess what? The world will educate our families, our kids, and even us in ways that we don't realize if we are not aware of the fight that we are in. And so Jesus is saying, hey, let's confront the reality of the situation. Let's confront where you really are. So what are you really believing about lust, about adultery, about sex? That's what Jesus is getting at. What things socially have you begun to accept? What things have you allowed passively? Have you become desensitized to that you say it's not a big deal? Jesus today is going to say it is a big deal. So why would Jesus choose the seventh commandment? Why would Jesus not choose um, thou shalt guard the Sabbath? And I, you've heard it say, guard the Sabbath. But I tell you today, you need to take a nap every single day for your soul, right? Why was that not? Because there's something very sacred in God's design. And this is what I want you to get today, fam. Is that God created these things, that they are not bad in their essence. But God created them with a very beautiful design in mind. And that design was distorted at the fall when sin entered the world. And that is what we are waging war against, is this distortion of the design that God has for you and for me. And Jesus has to confront that current reality. 
He has to confront our current context. He has to come at us and say, hey, we need to talk about this. So Jesus not only challenges, not only confronts our reality, but he challenges our reality. Verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is not only saying, hey, we need to bring up the topic. It's important. He's saying the way we think about it is just as important. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've even looked at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. He doesn't say, you married folk, if you look at a woman with lustful heart, you've committed adultery. He says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery in their heart. You see, he is challenging what is at your heart level. So what is lust? Let's define this. Let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. At a very basic level, lust, a strong passion or longing for sexual or sensual pleasure. Okay? Sexual or sensual pleasure is the longing for this. But more than that, what Jesus is addressing is the ongoing, the, the mental uh, faculties engaging in thoughts that are not honoring to him. And he's saying, when we uh, engage those thoughts, it's not just someone walked across and I noticed them, or I'm at the grocery store and somebody walked across from me and, whoa, I did not mean to see that. He's saying when our minds begin to wander, begin to think, begin to fantasize, that's when lust has come into our hearts and we've committed adultery in our hearts. And this is the thing. From a biblical perspective, I would say lust is this wrongfully directed sexual desire apart from God's design that is focused on satisfying the pleasure of the self. Wrongfully directed sexual desire apart from God's design that is focused on satisfying the pleasure of the self. Or more simply put, godly desires pointed in the wrong direction, focused on you. Students, God's designed you a certain way. So what Jesus is saying is not lust is uh, sex is bad. Don't ever have sex. That's religion. That's religion telling you it's bad. You, you need to avoid it. You just don't, don't need to think about it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Lust is not the natural attraction. Lust is not our bodies changing and having hormones biologically that drive us to want certain things. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's lust. In fact, that's the way God created you. He's not surprised by your drive and your desires and the things you want. He created you that way. From Genesis 1, he created man and woman, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. He created us in this way. And so he's not saying that that's bad, but when those things come and present themselves to us, when temptation comes and presents itself to us, what do we do with that? And so what Jesus is saying is that, what you do with that, not just in your actions, but in your attitudes, that's what matters. Because many of us might say, well, I don't, I don't actually cheat on anyone. Jesus says, what's, well, what's in your heart? Lust is not only an outward action, but also an inward reality. Lust is the ongoing look in your heart for personal pleasure, for wanting to satisfy yourself. And this is what Jesus is telling us, is that uh, we are one thought away from committing adultery. That's how serious this is. You see, adultery doesn't happen just out of nowhere. Just, I, I don't know how it happened. No, it has a root. That root is your thought. That root is up here in your mind. And when it goes unchecked, it becomes an action. And you've heard this. Right? Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap, reap a character. Sow a character, reap an, a destiny. 
And that's how it starts, little by little. You see, lust doesn't just come up at you. And Satan doesn't just come up at you and say, hey, by the way, if you look at pornography, your marriage is going to fall apart. Your life's going to fall apart. You're going to become addicted. You're going to have shame. It doesn't come up to you that way. It starts off with something small, with something gone unchecked, something gone undiscovered, something in the darkness. But Jesus is saying, that's not how I designed you. There is something better that I have for you. There's a right way to enjoy the provision I have for you. But lust will come in and twist things just enough that we begin to say, well, is that really lust? Is that really too far? And next thing we know, we've stepped, we've stepped, we've stepped. And all of a sudden, we are as distant from the truth as we can be because it all started with this one thought. And so Jesus will say, this is important for you to address. D.A. Carson would say, this is not a prohibition of the normal attraction which exists between men and women, whether the deep-seated lust which consumes and devours, which in imagination attacks and rapes, which mentally contemplates and commits adultery. This is why pornography is so devastating. Now, this is not a message on pornography, but it's one of the most prevalent things we can look at and see the immediate detrimental effects it's had on society. 40 million Americans regularly view pornography in a year. 40 million, over 10% of our country. 80% of men age 18 to 40 regularly view porn a month. And by the way, the church is not excluded from this. The church is not excluded from this. 35% of all internet downloads are pornography. 38% of adults think porn is morally acceptable. What's the big deal? I have the freedom to see and do whatever I want with my time. One-third of pornography viewers are women. Women is uh, the, the fastest-growing demographic for pornography consumption. This is not, no longer a man issue. This is something that is, is, is uh, enticing men and women almost equally now. And just to put it into context, this isn't, there's a cost to this. The, the pornography industry last year as an industry revenued $16.4 billion. The NFL revenue was 15.6, a billion dollars less than the pornography industry. What does that tell you? That if we like football, there's, there are even more people that like to watch pornography and things that corrupt the soul. And so that's why we have to address it. But while we're at it, it's not just a pornography issue. Remember, it's in our thoughts, it's in our hearts, it's in our desires. What about things like magazines? Hey, take this quiz, find out what kind of lover you are. And there goes the church clicking in to figure, find out what kind of lover they are. Lies being fed to us. Hey, this novel, not that bad. It's just a story. You're just reading a story. What's the big deal? Romance movies, romance comedies. Hey, these stories are beautiful, but what happens is that just the way pornography gives you a, a fantasy life that you then try to compare to your real life, romantic comedies, magazines, novels give you a fantasy world that all of a sudden you begin to compare yourself to, right? And you have the, the man running after the woman uh, uh, at, at the edge of, an, of the airplane and, and, and stops the airplane and proposes, and all of a sudden, why can't you do that? Why can't you love me that way? You proposed to me at, at uh, La Madeline on a Tuesday night by yourself. Why can't you be like that guy? 
And all of a sudden, the movies we were watching, the shows we were watching are setting standards and precedents for the expectations that we have of the people around us. And this happens whether you're married or whether you're single. And especially if you're single and you're preparing for the future design of marriage that God has for you, don't let the world tell you what that world should look like, what marriage should look like. Let the Bible, let Scripture inform what the beautiful thing God has for you. Uh, let the Bible inform that instead. Remember, you're at war. And so when you confront these situations, when you come across these temptations, Jesus is getting at our heart and saying, what are you going to do? Students, when you are at school and someone says, hey, uh, check this out. And inside of you, you have this fuzzy feeling that something's not right here. I, I don't know if I should or not. You know what that is? That's the spirit pulling you and drawing you away and saying, hey, we need to focus on something better. You need to focus on God and you need to pull away from the thing that's about to try to entrap you. Maybe for you as an adult, it's finding confidence or finding comfort in the listening ear of a coworker of the opposite sex or maybe even the same sex. See, we're, we're in a culture that has drastically messed up what sexuality is, what God's original design for sexuality is. And maybe for you it's, hey, I, I've been talking to somebody else. That is the reason why uh, emotional affairs are still affairs because it's at the heart level. But what we are meant to do when we hear Jesus' words is let those fuzzy feelings the fuzzy feeling that I had of not feeling okay whenever I was boxing and I needed some water, that fuzzy feeling that you have when, when you're about to say something or do something that, that just doesn't feel right, let that be something that is a compass to you to, to, to pull away from whatever it is you're about to engage. Why is Jesus telling us this? Because he is guarding what is good. He is guarding his design. He is guarding the way he made you. You are made in the image of God, imago Dei. We are image bearers of God. And when we engage in lust, when we engage in pornography, when we engage in the fantasy world, what we are doing is minimizing God's design. We are taking his beautiful design, we're throwing it in the dirt, and we're stepping on it. And all of a sudden, this is simply meant to feed me, to feed my desires, to feed my satisfactions. And guess what? That makes me God. What I want matters more, and we've taken something beautiful and something godly, and we made it ultimate, and we made it about ourselves. But Jesus is setting the standard here, and he's saying the standard is holiness. Your self-righteousness is not enough. Abstaining, doing all the right things for the wrong reasons is not enough. He desires holiness from us. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for that they shall be satisfied. Verse 8 in the same chapter, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Whereas last week we saw the, the root sin of passion, of anger. This week we see the root sin of appetite and desire. And isn't lust one of those things that the more you get, the more you want? It's one of those things that is just never ending. As I was reading statistics this week, I was, just, I was blown away at just the reality. Uh, a study of 30,000 men and women between 18 and 35 showed that the top 1% of that group had more than 150 partners up to that point in their life. And when asked about their joy, their happiness, their, the, those that had over 150 partners said, I'm not very happy. What has this done for him or for her? 
not very much. In fact, it's produced a deeper desire for more and more and more of something that will never satisfy. Why? Because that wasn't God's original design. Family, God's given us the beautiful gift of marriage to enjoy, to enjoy in his beautiful design. And when we engage in things outside of that design, what we are doing is belittling his gift to us. We are throwing away his gift to us. And we're telling God, that doesn't matter. It's really not that big of a deal. And that's the reason I think that it's important for us to be reminded that this is a beautiful gift from God. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? You see, it's not about just our actions. It's about our heart's posture. And today, this is what Jesus is calling us to. Let's confront the reality. Let's confront what's really happening in our society. And not just our society. Let's confront what's really happening inside the church. Let's challenge the thoughts we've had about lust and about sexual immorality. Let's challenge that with the truths of Scripture about what's in our hearts. And then Jesus would say, let's fight for what's good. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. We might read this and almost think, Jesus, bro, that's a little intense, right? Like, come on, man. And I actually brought some saws for us, uh, sweetie from Hunters. No, I didn't bring any saws. Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. He's saying, hey, this is how serious this matter is. If this is a problem for you, take out your eye, cut off your hand. Which, by the way, does not solve the problem if it's an issue of the heart, right? It doesn't solve the problem. He doesn't say, take out your heart, because that's where the sin is at. He says, cut off your arm. Yeah, well, what, what is he getting at? He's saying, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to fight. Whatever it takes to have your dukes up, so that when temptation comes, you, you're weaving in and out. You're throwing punches back and forth. You're moving out of the way. Do whatever it takes. In Jewish culture, the right hand and the right eye were just evidence of, of, of good vision, of your best faculties, of, your, of the best parts of you. And what he's saying is, even in good things, if they're causing you to stumble and they're causing you to fall, get rid of it. If you have to go back to the flip phone for a while, my brother and my sister, is it not worth it to have a good communication, a good relationship with your spouse and have a flip phone that, that, that looks ridiculous? but it's helping you fight sin. Is it not worth it, young adult, that if you are sleeping with your boyfriend and girlfriend and you're somehow justifying and saying, well, we're, we're married before the eyes of the Lord. You've heard that, right? That's a lie. That's from the enemy. That's not what scripture teaches us. If that's the relationship you're in, get out of it. If you have friends that are constantly trying to show you things that are not good, are constantly saying, that's what she said, right? Y'all know those jokes? Easy, so easy to belittle God's gift to us. Get rid of that. Remove yourself from that. Fight temptation. Whatever it is you have to do, take it out. And that is what Jesus is telling us here. Is be willing to give up whatever it takes. Why? Because Satan comes at you again very simply and says, compromise just a little bit. It's just a show. It was one scene in the show. What's the big deal? The whole season, the whole rest of the season, there was no nudity in that. Compromise, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And the next thing you know, you're in a deeper state of sin than you ever realized possible. 
He never again comes to you with the worst case scenario. And what happens is he gets you with these little things that create small apathy in you. A little bit of apathy. Eh, not that big of a deal. I can move past this. It doesn't affect me. It's all in culture today anyways. What's the big deal? That leads to atrophy. All of a sudden, parts of your soul begin to die. Parts of your spiritual life begin to die. Parts of your relationship with God begin to die. Your relationship with your spouse begins to, to dwindle. And that leads you to agony, apathy, atrophy, agony. This is the way the small compromises in our life end up uh, bringing us away from the truth. But Jesus is yelling at us with a loud mic and saying, it's worth the fight. Whatever you need to do, whatever the cost is worth the fight because I have given you a beautiful gift that you need to protect no matter the cost. And He is saying this. He says, you, if your hand and if your eye, this is the other thing. This is a personal battle. We all battle with different things when it comes to lust. And it looks different in different seasons in our lives, in different ways. And Jesus is not saying, hey, if your brother is sinning, if your brother is, brother is lusting, go cut off his hand. He didn't say go pay attention to everybody else. He says, if your hand and your eye cause you to sin, you know what those things are in your life today that you need to be fighting. He says, cut it off. James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And isn't that what Jesus said? He said, it's better for you to lose one arm. It's better for you to lose one eye than for all of you to be thrown into hell. That's kind of drastic. Talking about lust, we go from lust to hell. Jesus, what in the world are you doing here? He's saying, this is how serious this is to me. Your personal holiness, your personal relationship with me, the relationship you have with your spouse, the marriage that I've given you, is that important to me that I will ask you to do the impossible to protect it? So just as some pointers as we land here toward the end. Jesus is addressing your personal fight. The sin, this desire that goes unchecked will lead you to death. And so let's, let's figure out where this lust actually hides in today's society, in our world right now. Let's unpack this just as we end here. First place that I think lust probably hides in plain sight is solitude and isolation. You see, most of us will not actually run out and, and show off the sin of lust, right? When you are isolated, when you are in solitude, that's when you will have some of your greatest battles. William Temple said, religion is what you do with your solitude. What are you finding yourself watching? What are you finding yourself talking about? What are you finding yourself thinking about? What are you finding yourself dreaming and fantasizing about? We say things like, it's okay, nobody knows about it, what's the big deal, it's not hurting anybody, but it is. See, the sex industry comes at a cost. We're in a city where sex trafficking is prevalent, and, and we don't even think about the ramifications of pornography and, and everything else that has to do with the red light district. We don't think of the ramification it has on people. Last year, we went on my honeymoon with, uh, with my wife, and uh, we decided to go parasailing, and we get in the boat, and there's a, a, a mom with her two daughters in the boat, and we just start talking. The, the two daughters go up first, and we're talking to the mom, and she's telling us, you know, this is, this is the first time I bring my daughters out. We just got my youngest back. She's 25. We said, just got her back. 
She said, yeah. Her boyfriend lured her into a situation that was not good, and she was kidnapped, and she was sex trafficked and taken away. And we, for two years, had no idea where she was at, did the impossible to find her, and ended up finding her. That's how close it is to us. I, we didn't expect to have that conversation, but all of a sudden now we see the face and the product of these, cha- of, of these, of these um, desires going unchecked. They produce men and women who devour and consume. And when we were not believers, we were driven by our desires and by our passions. But now that we are believers, Jesus is saying to you, these desires and passions will wage war with your spirit, but hold fast to the truths of God Hold fast to the gospel of Jesus. And maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, bro, I wish you would have told me this a year ago. I wish you would have told me this when I started my marriage. I feel like I am way too far and too deep. You're not, my brother and my sister. There is freedom. This is what Jesus came for. This is what we sing about. This is why the gospel is true. It's not that we would perfectly avoid lust. It's not that we would perfectly avoid the things of this world. It's not that we would just walk around with blinders in, on our eyes and not talk to anybody that's not Christian. It's this, is that we would depend on Christ and his righteousness for our righteousness, that we would be justified because we're justified by Christ and not by our actions, and that we would love God so much that we would submit ourselves to him before anything and anyone else, and in so doing, we would love him and love our brother and our sister and love our spouse and love our friends and love our neighbors because his gospel has given us so much grace. That's the good news that I have for you today, is that you don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live enslaved. You don't have to live... Fearing, you don't have to live in shame. Jesus has come to take that away from you. And if you're young here today and you don't, this is the first time you're hearing some of this stuff, let me tell you this. I wish somebody would have told me this when I was in middle school, that my fight would have started early and not in college. It wasn't until college that I had somebody actually ask me, hey, do you you struggle with pornography? That was a question for me. I was like, what are we talking about right now? And God had to humble me and say, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? I had to be humble and say, yeah, I need some help. And in my 20s, God allowed me to fight the fight with brothers and sisters, which leads me to my next point. How do we fight this? Well, one, renew your mind. Renew your mind. Jesus challenges us to think about things differently than maybe we have been. Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is sitting with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Is it amazing as we read in Colossians, and we're talking about setting our minds on the things above that, he would go to desires. Why would he contrast setting our things above with our earthly desires? Because these things can enslave us very quickly if find them checked. And so Jesus would say, set your mind on things above. Professor from DTS, Howard Hendricks, whenever a young man would come to him and say, hey, I'm, I'm wrestling with, with pornography, I'm less wrestling with lust, you know what he would Put him in a training toward. Aside from the general, hey, we need to get some software to protect you, some accountability. He would give them a rigorous training in scripture memorization. Why? 
Because when you are tempted and your mind wants to run in one direction, if you don't have the word of God in your heart, if you don't have the word of God in your mind, if you don't have that scripture ready to fight temptation, it's going to be very easy for you to be taken away into whatever is tempting you. So renew your mind. Put your, put your mind on the things above and hate sin. See the ramifications. You have to hate sin so that you can be killing it. Otherwise, it'll be killing you. So renew your mind. Second thing, prioritize the good. Married people, intimacy at the table and at the bed. Make those priorities. And I tell you this coming from a week where I'm preparing for the scripture, and the enemy's coming to my household this week and saying communication doesn't need to happen. There needs to be a gap. And, and my mind is focused on the word and the scripture, on the things God's given me. And the enemy's coming in trying to create a gap, trying to create division, trying to keep, create just enough distance between my wife and myself that I might look at something different. I might think about something different. I might want something different. And by God's grace this week, I'm in scripture and I'm studying and I'm seeing it for what it is. And the enemy is crafty. He won't come at you just all like this. Hey, by the way, you're about to sin. Simple. Little, little things. Little things. And pay attention to what I said. Intimacy at the table and in your bed. See, intimacy is not just physical. It's communication. It's understanding. It's hearing each other out. It's showing grace and love to one another. Those are things that are God's, God's created and designed for us to enjoy in marriage. So communicate with your spouse, your needs. Make sure there's no secrets. Open up to your spouse and tell him what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And leave no room for the enemy to create division. Third point, don't fight alone. You can't do this by yourself. I, don't, I have yet to meet someone that has said, man, I've overcome this by myself with the Lord in my room. That's it. That's all I needed. Just guiding me. No. God's given us the beautiful gift of community for a reason. And that reason is that we would mutually sharpen one another, point one another to Christ, hold each other accountable to the standard of holiness that God has set before us. So maybe today you need to go to your spouse and have this conversation after we're done here. Do it. Don't let time pass by. Don't let it grow more, but instead bring it to the light. For when you bring it to the light, it, 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 God will help you get rid of it. God will help you uh, steer clear from it. But the longer you stay in darkness, the more it just becomes a part of who you think you are, who you say you are, what's actually in your heart. Take the commitment, the, com the gift of community seriously and use it with your spouse, with your leaders. If you're single, if you're a student, talk to your parents, if, if, talk to a leader. Whatever you need to do, don't fight alone. You were not meant to fight alone. And finally, be reminded that eternity is at stake. You need to have an eternal perspective. Jesus is telling us it's worth fighting for. You see, what hell is, eternal separation between man and God. That's what hell is. And he's saying that's what's at stake, that, that if you sow a thought and end up breathing a destiny, that's what happens in that trajectory is that over time you will distance yourself from God. And God does not want that for you. He does not want that for me. He doesn't want that for us. You see, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The following verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, this text might come across as condemning, like, hey, if you don't cut off your arm, you're going to hell. It's quite the opposite. Jesus is saying, I have something so much greater for you, something so much better for you, husband, wife, student, single. I have something so much greater for you. It's my love 
It's my relationship. It's the design of marriage. It's the design that you would enjoy these things in a good and healthy place. And it's something that is worth fighting for because your eternity is at stake. So I pray that today's message would open up these opportunities for us and would help us see God for what he is, a holy God, a righteous God, a God that no matter what we do is always willing to bring us in as long as we would repent and come to him in faith. And my prayer and my hope is that we would be a church that is bold enough to confront these issues head on so that whenever we're attacked in the world, you and I have our due set. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that uh, you don't shy away from difficult topics, from things that um, make us uncomfortable, that society has no issue talking about, and yet we in the church at times do. But you didn't. You came and, and, and you loved your people. You loved us enough that you would have hard conversations, that in challenging us, you would change us. I pray that you would give us a right mindset to understand who you are, to understand your holiness, to understand what's at stake when we uh, entertain and flirt with lust. Father God, this is detrimental to our souls. There is a war or our souls, and we need to be prepared to fight for it. Father God, I pray for our young students. I pray for our teenagers. I pray for our singles who are in the battle against a world that is constantly bombarding them with sexual references, with sexual morals that are not in line with what you have taught us is good and right. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that your spirit would be in them. I pray that your word would empower them to fight the good fight that one day when they reach the, the altar, that they would be able to have a healthy and good marriage because they're not coming in with all the baggage that sin produces over time, but instead that they would be able to stand before their spouse and say, I've been fighting for this marriage since I was young. I pray for our parents that you would give them wisdom to lead the students, to lead their kids into conversations that are healthy, that are good, that are honoring to you, that bring out things in us that maybe we don't know are there, that there would be a safe place to have these conversations or give wisdom to our parents to help navigate these conversations with their kids. And Lord, I pray for our marriages in the church, the beautiful gift you've given us to have a spouse. Lord, we are grateful for it. Help us be men and women who treasure it, who prioritize it, who fight for it, who don't give up in every little thing, Lord, that will create a gap between our spouses, but instead men and women who are so grateful to you for the gift of marriage that we will do whatever it takes to honor you and to honor our spouse. And Lord, let the church be a place that rises up and says, enough's enough. We see the detriment of sexual immorality, of lust, and we will not have it. We will fight against it, and we will show the world your holiness and your glory. Let us be image bearers. Let us be men and women who constantly reflect your glory, your might, your grace, your mercy, your gospel. And let us be men and women who don't live in shame, but live in light. Men and women who hold true, who hold fast to the truths of the gospel. Father God, we're grateful for difficult topics because they bring us closer to you. They help us love you more and help us love one another more. Be with us the rest of this day as we chew on this and navigate uh, 
some conversations in your name we pray.